Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session two, what's in your pockets? Understand the importance of reckoning. So if I were to ask you, can you do it? When I give a command of scripture and I could lay it out before your soul, I could say, can you do it? Is it in your pockets? Do you have it in and of yourself to be able to pull it off? Technically, according to scripture, I mean, you can figure it out experientially and come to the end of yourself one day and finally agree with God and say, I I can't do it. Or you can take the shortcut to that and just agree with scripture and say, God, you say I can't do it. So I trust what you say. Some of us really have to work this out experientially, though. This is understand the importance of reckoning. The word reckoning is going to be a very, very important word for you in your Christian life. And so I'd like to introduce that, you to that word this, uh, in this session. But before we do it, now, a few weeks ago, I think it was, uh, we had a message on faith. And we were talking about fact, faith, and experience. This is an illustration I give at Ellerslie over and over and over and over again. And the students this semester have probably heard it three or four times already. But there's three characters, and they are all commissioned to do the impossible. And it's to walk this ridgepole of a barn, and it's like a razor edge. No one could actually ever do that. And yet, out of these three characters, the first one stands up. There are three names, by the way, are fact, faith, and experience. Fact gets up and steps on this razor's edge and just walks. <laughs> it's like, uh, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And he could turn around if he, if he wanted to and say, but I'm fact. You see, fact is another word. See, as Christians, we usually use the word truth, which means that which is verifiable, that which is without exaggeration, that which is without lie. It has no falseness to it. It is truth. And truth in the word of God is proven over and over and over again. It is tested or tried like silver in the midst of fire seven times. And so we're talking about something that is, in fact, and indeed, truth. It's fact. Two plus two equals four. It's fact. And yet, when we think about God's kingdom, we oftentimes don't reason that way. We think it's subjective. Oh, well, that's your truth, and this is my truth. No, this is God's truth, and God's truth is true whether you acknowledge it or not. You could say, I don't feel like two plus two equals four, and guess what? You'd just be wrong. It's that simple, which is a very inappropriate thing for me to say in our postmodern era. But if you believe something that is contrary to what truth is, you are wrong. God is right. And the essence of faith hinges on this concept. So we have fact, and fact has perfect balance and walks the ritual. So here, now you step in, faith. I know you're not faith, but you're the one that wields it. And so as a result... If you get up on that ridgepole and keep your eyes fixed to the fact, the strangest thing happens, but you gain balance, and you begin to walk the ridgepole, and you're like, I thought this was impossible. I know, it is impossible 
without the truth. But the truth enables faith to actually maintain a balance and to pull off a life that, guess what, is defined as impossible. No human could actually do it, and yet we do it. Because that which is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, all would be easy, and we could just move on in life and just be happy and sing all sorts of songs, but there's a third character. His name is experience. And experience is a loud mouth. Experience is making a lot of noise. Hey, hey, you can't just trust that truth. Don't you know there are people throughout the ages that have trusted that and their lives fell apart? Oh, remember great aunt Martha? Uh-huh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. She prayed, God didn't answer. Yeah, remember Uncle Harold? Uh-huh, that's right. He was a Christian. Look how bad of a guy he was. I think he spent time in prison. So here you are attempting to walk and focus on fact, but you got some noise behind you. Most of that noise isn't Great Aunt Martha, and it's not just Uncle Harold. It's your own life. It's your own experiences. Remember when you stood up and you trusted God? You read that scripture, and go, I'm going to believe it. And yet it didn't seem like God came through. The enemy is making a lot of noise behind you. I'm going to give you the secret to Christianity. You fix your gaze on fact. And you do not concern yourself with what is behind you. You do not concern yourself with that loud mouth behind you. And what will happen is your life will begin to gain balance. You see, what happens to many of us is we turn around and we consult experience. We consult emotion, all this stuff that is behind us. And when you turn around and take your eyes off of fact, you lose balance and you fall and land in that manure pile at the bottom of the barn. We've spent many an hour in that manure pile, many a day, many a week, many a month, many years in that manure pile. And most of us in here hate that manure pile. Well, I don't blame you. It's not where you're supposed to be. And we stare up longingly at the top of this roof. like, Oh, yeah, it'd be nice if we could walk that, but no one actually can. Yeah, we can't. In our own pockets, we can't. But when we fix our gaze on what God says, we says, but he can. That's what it says in Scripture. He can. So we trust it. And when we trust it, guess what? We gain balance. Now, does God care about your experience? Because you know, I'm very harsh on people's experience. I always feel a little bad when I say it, but I don't really care what your experience is. You could come to me and say, but Eric, I've, I've tried to, I don't care. I don't want to hear your woeful tales of trusting God and him failing you because I know the problem doesn't lie with God, it lies with you. Did I just say that out loud or did I think it? I said it and I said it very purposely because you and your little self-pity routines trying to say that God has neglected you, God's word didn't work for you. Uh Uh-uh! Let God be true and let your ridiculous mindsets on that point be proven a liar. It is a lie. God has not failed you. His word is in fact truth. Uh Uh-huh. It's called preaching. That's what I was just doing. (laughs) You see, you have to stand firm on this, otherwise Christianity collapses. All of us start turning, consulting our experience, and we land in the the manure pile. You want to walk the ridge, Paul? I'm going to give you the secret. God cares about your experience. So you focus on faith, on fact, and guess what? You just keep walking. I don't care what noise comes out from behind you. I don't care how loud it is. You keep walking, and what's going to happen? Experience is actually going to line itself up with faith, which lines itself up with fact. And pretty soon, we have a Christian life. We have a Christian life that doesn't just believe the right things, but is actually living them and is showing in the wake of their walk that God is, in fact, faithful. So, fact, faith, and experience. Reasoning like a Christian. The five facts, key word for us, 
So we could say the five truths, the basis of childlike faith. You see, when as a child in our soul, we come unto Christ and we say, you say it, I believe it. I want you to literally show neglect to your past experience. I want you to treat it with contempt. If it attempts to argue against the clear revealed word of God, I want you to make a choice in your soul to neglect it, to turn a cold shoulder to it, and to believe the word of God afresh. I know there's a risk involved in that because some of you have pain in your life, disillusioning pain. And it's like, God, I don't know that I can actually go through that pain again. I'm here to tell you, the secret to your soul is not to try and comfort yourself in your pain and live in this disillusioned state. It's to freshly turn your gaze towards the fact. What does truth say? It's truth, and truth will not disappoint. Those who put their hope in the Lord will not be put to shame. So the five facts, the basis of childlike faith. So when I sit someone down and I'm walking them through the gospel, one of the first things I want to determine is their readiness for the gospel. Sort of like if you're checking fruit on a tree and you're, you're thinking of picking it, well, check its ripeness. If it's not ripe and ready, well, then it's not ready to be picked. I mean, you can pull on it, and sometimes you pull it off too quickly. It's not going to be edible. It's not at its state where it's ready. And that's the same with us. That's the same with the human soul. There's a readiness. Well, how do I know a readiness? Well, this is my scripture. Hebrews eleven six. 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. There has to be something known as faith. And it's sort of hard to describe how faith works because I can't stick it in you. You can't stick it in yourself you have it. God is giving it to you. And so without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. That's a strange statement. So I would ask someone, do you believe that God is? And they'd be like, he is what? I go, no, no, no. I I said, do you believe that he is? And they'd say, he is what? You see, he is, is the name of God. It's the proper name of God. In the, in the Greek, we have this hard difficult time translating it because it's supposed to say like he is kind however god in the old testament introduces his proper name at the burning bush to moses moses says who am i to tell them sent me i am that i am you see god says i am we say he is it is basically saying god is which means he was he is and he always will be he's unchanging he's always there He's immutable. The way he was then is the way he will be now. So if 2 plus 2 equaled 4 5,000 years ago, guess what? It still equals 4 today. God doesn't change. So when you understand him, you can bank on it. You can stand on it as rock. It's so exciting, actually, when you catch the vision. I remember getting so excited teaching Hudson math. 2 plus 2 equals 4. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. I go, no, no, you, you, you don't get it. You see, when you understand that 2 plus 2 equals 4, it will always equal. So therefore, with great confidence, you can stand up even a billion years from now and say, it equals four. Now imagine that you choose to feel your way through mathematics. And you turn to the back and it's like, but it doesn't feel good to be four. It's not as good as five. And so you start reasoning from the fact that, or from a new reality, that four plus four equals five. Do you know that your world will begin to crumble? Because it's not based on reality. Talk about falling off of ridgepoles. But you start building around that which is true, and your life actually works. So it says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. So I set that before a soul, and you know what I, I have them do? I said, declare it. I believe that God is. I go, all right. Well done. Share it with the highest heaven, the lowest hell. Make it known. You believe this, because this is a symbol of faith. But it's not just that you believe he is. You believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is the basis of faith. 
And so I want to query your souls on this. Do you believe that God is? Well, then, do you believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, which means he's inclined towards your benefit? You see, you know how important that is to understand the cross? Because you know how unworthy we feel at the cross? It's like, he's not inclined towards my benefit. You see, faith stems from the fact that he is, but he's not just the high and holy God that we can just stand in awe of. He's also inclined towards our benefit. He is after our salvation. Do you believe that? I do. I don't know how I believe it, but I do. Well, exert that. Declare it. I believe that God is. And I believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If I seek him, I will indeed find him. So he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. These are two of the facts. Those are incontrovertible facts. And you can build your life around them. Once you know it, a billion years from now, it's still true. This is who God is. God does not change. There is no shadow of turning in him. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the equivalent of saying, he is the I am. So when we say Yahweh or Yahweh, it actually is the equivalent of saying, he is. So Jehovah Nisi, for instance, the Lord, our banner, or he is our banner. Jehovah Rapha, he is our healer. Jehovah and Yahweh are the same. I should have said it that way. When you say Jehovah, you're saying he is. Okay, so when you're saying Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is, or he is our righteousness. He is, do you believe it? He's the basis of everything. He's creator. He's unchanging. And he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Number three, and so then this will be the next question I would ask you. Do you believe that God can lie? It's really funny the answers I've received to this over the years. Sure, God can do anything. All right, well, did you know that God, though I know that sounds very impressive to say he can do anything, he cannot violate his nature. He is. So therefore, who he is will always be who he is. And guess what? It says in Scripture that he is truth which means there is no lie in him. And it says in scripture that he cannot lie, he will not lie. So let me ask you again. Do you believe he is? Do you believe he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him? And do you believe that he cannot lie? What are your thoughts on that? You see, how you come down on that simple sounding question, I know it sounds like a trivial thing, it's like, who cares? Believe me, this is everything in Christianity. If you believe God can lie, you can never trust him. Because how do I know? How do I know? If that's his word, sure, but he can lie. So how, do I, how, do, how can I base any confidence in it? Faith stems from this list that I'm giving you. You catch this as a little child in your soul, and suddenly your faith works, and it'll stick its attention straight on fact and begin to walk, and your experience will begin to line up. So what I share, because it's amazing, people will say, yeah, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. So declare it. High heaven, low hell. Let him hear you. My God cannot lie. Ah, there you go. That's right. That's a fact. Focus on that. Remember that. God is not a man that he should lie. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? The strength of Israel will not lie. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So can God lie? No! You declare that in your soul. This is the movement or the action of faith. My God has no falseness in him. My God cannot mislead. My God is truth. So he is, 
and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God cannot lie, and here's my new one for you. So I would ask, so do you believe the word of God is in fact the word of God? Well, that's a stumbling point for many today. I mean, we're the Da Vinci Code generation. However, do you know that every generation before us is the Da Vinci Code generation? This is the work of Satan throughout every generation. What did he start with at the tree? He hangs from the tree, and what does he speak to Eve? Did God really say that? I mean, can you really trust him? You see, this is the bait. God has spoken, and what does the serpent always say? But can you really trust that? Are you sure this isn't just a work of men? Do you believe that the word of God is, in fact, the word of God? Did you know that if someone said to me that God can lie, you know that I would actually, it would stunt my ability to give them the gospel? You know that the gospel hinges upon this basic evidence of ripeness and readiness. I know that sounds strange. It doesn't mean I can't share truth with them, but I can't walk them through until faith is present. And I can't produce faith. God has done something in them to ready them to hear the words of truth. It is spiritually discerned. I can't force someone to believe, but I can present truth, and I recognize when they're ready to believe. The word of God is the word of God. I know I'm making that statement sound like it's obvious. It is. To me, it's the most obvious thing. The word of God is, in fact, the word of God. That's where I stand, and that's the reason I'm so strong in my faith. Yeah, because if you don't have that, you don't have anything. So I would want to ask you, is the word of God the word of God? Now, when I walk through the students at Ellers, I actually give them opportunity to ask questions about that, because there's all sorts of little question marks that can dance in the head. And guess what? There's answers. I'm not afraid of being asked a question about the Word of God. Now, we don't have time for it here. For those of you who are like, oh, you like to ask, answer questions. However, I really do. You know, God is not ashamed of his word. And he's more than willing to stick me as a preacher of his gospel out there and, and make a statement like, no, the Word of God is, in fact, the Word of God. And that he will supply us as the church of Jesus Christ the ability to reason with those that would try and confront that point or diminish that point. You see, this is the basis of faith. If you think that the Bible is a collection of just men's words that is endorsed by God, and God's like, yeah, it's a pretty good book, then you, it loses its credibility, it loses its rock-like nature, and you can't stand on it. You don't have confidence. When the winds and rains beat, you suddenly want to run to a different house. You want to be in a safer environment. You're going to go to something else other than put your confidence in, this rock won't be shaken. Watch. Winds and rains are beating against your house, Eric. I know. Watch. My house will not fall. How can you be so certain? Because the God that I am trusting in has declared it, and he cannot lie. Watch. And guess what? It'll prove over and over and over again to be true. So do you believe the word of God is, in fact, the word of God? Look what it says in Scripture. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So he is. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He cannot lie. The word of God is the word of God. And therefore, get this, this is the logic. And if you catch this logic, it'll change your life. The word of God cannot lie. God cannot lie, and if this is his word, what do you know about it? It's truth. It would have no falseness in it. Aha. Uh-huh. You just unlocked the door to faith. Walk in as a little child. Start participating in the word of God with a whole new confidence. God cannot lie. His word is, in fact, his word, and therefore it bears his nature. It cannot, will not, is unable to lie. 
It is, in fact, truth. That's right. That's right! Yes! I have faith in the Word of God. Why? Eric, how could you have such confidence? It cannot lie. Well, how do you know God just didn't lie back then, but now he might start lying today? Because he is, and he cannot change. And so therefore, when I know he cannot lie, then he also cannot lie today. My confidence is in something sure. The Bible calls it a rock. It's a rock beneath our feet, and when we build our life upon it as a wise man, we can endure any difficulty in this life and stand firm. Reckoning it yours. So we're going to introduce you to the concept of reckoning. What does it mean to reckon? Reckoning is an accounting term. And it is a little strange because we have the Southerners who are like, I reckon. <laughs> and so some of you have maybe heard the word, but you don't understand the spiritual dynamic to it. So uh, let's imagine that there was some kind of mob boss kingpin. Uh, oh, maybe I should just call him a lone shark. You know, that you were in a bad situation somewhere along in your life, and you came to a loan shark, very high interest rates, but he gave you a loan, and now he's saying, if you don't pay me back by, what, 11.50 uh, a.m. on Sunday morning, then, and you're like, oh, no. So you, you checked your bank account this morning. Guess what? You didn't have the resources. You don't have it. And he said, pay it up. And so you could write a check, but you know it's only going to get worse because you have no money to back up that check. And so you have your checkbook, you have your pen, but you have no confidence. Why? Because you know what's in your bank account. You know what's in your pockets. You don't have anything. So imagine that I intervene, and I say, I see your need. So I wired, uh, it was $1,000 that maybe you owed. So I wired $1,000 uh, to your account. It's there. I checked. It's in there. Write the check. Now, what is key for you to write the check? Now, you could actually have a momentary excitement and go, oh, really? You wired me money? But... What is needful? You must trust me. You must trust, get this, my word spoken to you. You must trust that I'm authentic and that I'm not lying to you because I could get you into a very deep pit if you were to write a check with confidence, slap it in his face and say, here you go. And then it turns out to be a bad check. So, reckoning is taking something that you cannot see by faith and attributing it to your account. I have it. And actually having the confidence, no shaking in your hand, in your pen, and writing the check and knowing that it will be backed. It's an accounting term. I have it in the bank. I have it. That's what reckoning is. So Christianity is based on this premise. Do you have it? And you can say, well, I don't feel it. I don't care what you feel. Do you have it? Because if God said it and he cannot lie, and he says you have it by faith when you are in Christ Jesus, do you have it? I have it. Because God cannot lie. I have it because God has promised, and his word is in fact true, and it cannot lie, and it says that because I'm in Christ, I have it. Therefore, since I'm in Christ, I have it. Start living as if you have it. Write the check. The $10. Karen has some challenges in life. And uh, imagine that there's one, only one exit outside of this building, and that is through those double doors in the back. And there's some big meanies uh, awaiting Karen out the door, and she's known these big meanies her entire life, and they always say something like, $10. And she looks into her pocket, and guess what? She doesn't have it, so she keeps getting roughed up by the enemy. 
I mean, it's a really sad story. Many of us can relate to it. We've been in that situation where as long as you're inside this building, you feel good, but then the moment you walk out into the real world, the big meanies are there, the mob is there, and they put their finger in your chest and say, pay up. And you don't have the substance, the real world substance, to be able to answer what they're doing. If you just had the resources, you could say, here's your 10, okay? Get out of my life. But you don't have it, and so what happens? It's a cyclical pattern of defeat. And so, uh, Karen, why don't you come on up onto the stage? Do you have any money in your pockets, by the way? Okay. So, no. So Karen doesn't have any money in her pockets, which means when you face that challenge, the $10 test outside the door, what's going to happen? I'm going to fail. She's going to fail. Okay, that's just the given. That's as much of a fact as anything else I'm going to say. Karen cannot pass the test, by the way. Do you have any money in your pockets? Okay, good. So you have a need. You have a situation where over and over again, time and time again, you keep failing, right? This is frustrating. And so whatever the test could be, because we could fill in whatever the test could be. It could be an issue with lust. It could be an issue with fear, anxiety. It could be an issue with some other type of indulgence. I don't know what it is, some addictive behavior. Whatever it is, it keeps grabbing us. We know how we want to live, but for whatever reason, we can't seem to live that way, okay? So, in fact, could you come over here? There's a reason for that. I need you on this side because you need to go on somewhat of a journey. Okay, so you don't have the resources in yourself. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so... If left to your own devices, you're going to fail. Yes. All right, so we have the basic confirmation of the bad news here. We have a bad situation. Karen is going to fail. None of us actually have any money in our pockets either. We're, this is a bad situation. We can't even help each other uh, pass this test. And lo and behold, something enters into the situation, which is the good news. Now, I'm not Jesus Christ. However, I'm going to act like the one who is giving the gift that is needful, okay? So what I tell Karen is, Karen, I've seen your situation. And actually, what's amazing about the gospel is he saw our situation long before we were ever born. It's called provision, which means vision ahead of time. And so I've seen your, your, your situation. I recognize that this is very frustrating. You don't want to continue in this pattern. So what I've done is I've made $10 available to you, okay? And that $10 is in a little basket over here, and it's underneath whatever that white stuff is in there. And it's yours, okay? Now, what's amazing with the provision of Jesus Christ is it's always been there, and it has always been available. However, we've been walking out that door and being defeated all these years because we didn't understand it, and we didn't reckon it ours. We didn't understand that that was real. It was meant to be ours, okay? So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Do you have in your own pockets that which you need to pass the test? No. She said no. Now listen. But do you have that which you need? Yes. Does that seem contradictory? I just asked her two questions. One was, does she have it in her pockets? Does she have in her pockets that which she needs to pass the test? And she said no. Okay, so wouldn't you think that the next answer would be similar? But do you have what you need to pass the test? Yes. What? Okay, watch, listen closely. How do you have what you need? Because you said it. I have it. So how are you grasping it? How do you have it? You don't have it in your pockets. So how do you have it? By... By you telling me that? So, sort of. But it's not just me telling. You had to also receive what I was telling you. It's called <clears throat> faith. So 
Do you have it in your own pockets? No. But do you have it? Yes. How do you have it? By faith. <laughs> faith in what? In you. In very specifically, my word. Okay, so let's walk through this. I want this to be your soul. Do you have it in your own pockets? No. But do you have it? Yes. How do you have it? By faith. Faith in what? Your word. That's how she has it. You know that, show me the, show me the $10. What? But she says she has it? Oh, come on. She has it. How? She hasn't seen it. She hasn't felt the crinkle between her fingers. You haven't even heard the crinkle. And so you're looking at her going, that is lunacy. It's lunacy if I'm a liar. But if I am a truth teller, and if what I've said is in fact truth and I cannot lie, it would be lunacy for her not to reckon it as hers and to immediately change her attitude and get joyful because she knows for the first time in her life she can pass that test. Why? Because the one telling her that he has given her a gift cannot lie. Okay, so what would you do next? Would you just go out and fail? I would get the $10. She's a wise lady. She would get the $10. Okay, I want you to start moving in the direction of what my word has spoken to you that you're putting your confidence in. I want you to begin to move in that direction. All right, stop. <laughs> Do you have uh, the $10 in your pockets? No. no. But do you still believe that you have that which you need to pass the test? Yes. You see, many of us start this journey of going after and obtaining the promises of God, and we stop because the enemy will start hounding us right here. Come on, you actually believe that stuff? Show me the crinkle. Show it to me between your fingers. You don't really have it. You know how many Christians have believed this stuff, and then they never get it? Come on, you've taken, what, three or four steps? You actually think you're going to find this thing? You see, it depends on if Karen believes that I'm a liar. If she believes that I'm a truth-telling man, in this case, then she will continue to walk in the direction of the promise because she knows God will prove faithful. So keep walking. Keep walking. Lean down. Stop. <laughs> Should she give up right now? Has she seen it yet with her eyes? You see, you guys can't see it up here, but it's this little basket on the floor. It has this white cover on it. She cannot actually see the $10. By faith, she has to keep moving forward and trust that what I said was true. She's feeling, I mean, could you imagine what it's going to look like in front of all of you? If she pulls out the white thing and there's no $10 in there, imagine how awkward I would feel. <laughs> However, she must put her confidence throughout this entire journey in the word of the trustworthy one. And I am not that trustworthy one. It's God. However, it's very difficult to give an illustration of that. So I want you to continue through, show a negligence, a complete disregard for any voice that would, that would try and charge you to stop. Because can't you just hear Can't you just hear the enemy? Don't keep, no, stop, Karen. No, that's a joke. He can't fulfill his promises. Just watch. I'm going to go after it. Oh, oh, what's that? That's, that's $10. You see, this is a very simple illustration, but I want you to realize that this is how Christianity works. You must believe that God is. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He cannot lie. His word is, in fact, the word of God, and it cannot lie. So when it speaks, he means it. It is truth. And when you start following it, guess what you're going to have? Make a crinkle sound with it. Like, yeah, like that. 
you get the crinkle. Okay, thanks, Karen. You can sit down, and you can keep the $10. <laughs> the bottled water. Mary has a problem. <laughs> but Mary has a problem, and that is she is dying of thirst. Okay, and she does not have... Do you have any water on you? Nope. Nope. Oh, no. Without water, she will die! Oh, no! And so all of us are in the same situation. Without the living water, we will die. And yet, so just to show you the illustration afresh, I've seen your need, and I've made provision for you. You see in that little box down there, which is closed and has a lid on it so she can't see inside of it, there's a bottle of water. And it's a perfect match for your need. It's exactly what you will need to slack, to quench, to deal with everything you need so that this is a healthy life instead of one that is shriveling up. All right? So do you have a bottled water in and of your own strength and in your own pockets? No. Oh, no. Should we give up? You see, Mary has just admitted that she does not have that which she needs to quench her own thirst. Should she stop? Should she give up? If I were to ask you, do you have it in your own pockets, that which is needed to prove perfectly righteous and holy before the bar of judgment? Do you have it? No. But do you have that which you need to slack your thirst? I do. Do you have that which you need for salvation? How, how do you have a bottled water? I don't see any bottled water here. You're telling me that you have bottled water? How do you have bottled water? By faith in your word. She's quick. <laughs> She's also gone through a semester at Ellerslie. So even though you don't have the possession, even though you still have a dry throat, you actually, by faith, are taking and reckoning the bottled water that was given to her by my word, and in her faith, she has received it. So she can actually begin to know that her thirst is indeed quenched, even though there's still a miniature journey ahead of her. And that is she must believe it and walk through it to obtain this promise. So what would you do? Would you just mosey on with your life and die of dehydration? I'd go get that bottle of water. Do it. Do it. She's on a journey. All right, stop right there. Isn't it reasonable to think that she should give up right about now? I mean, she's thirsty. She's taken about three or four steps. I mean, well, is she actually expecting to still find it? If the one who has spoken cannot lie, absolutely. You see, your faith is not in your experience up to this point. What does her experience show her in these four steps? She's still thirsty. I don't care about your experience. I care about what the word and the promise is. God has spoken. He has given a promise, and he is sure to back it up. Prove it, Mary. Prove it. So she leans down. She opens up the little book. <gasps> and there is a bottled water. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. You can sit down. All right. <laughs> In this journey, you must recognize that you must take God at his word. The moment you take him at his word and you believe it, it's called reckoning. And actually, you have strength. You have Money, you actually know that you can pass that test, and yet someone can say, show me the crinkle. I'll show you very soon. And that is when you're tested, suddenly you have everything you need. You see, we work in faith. We don't work by sight and by crinkle. We work by faith, and what happens is we gain the crinkle. We don't reason from our own strength and what's in our own pockets. We reason from his word and his promise. Secret to Christianity. Reckoning ourselves in Christ. This is a tricky one for some of us. It's like, well, 
I know that you're in Christ, but I don't know that I'm in Christ. Here's my simple uh, rule of thumb. Do you want to be in Christ? You're like, yeah. You know the reason you want to be in Christ? It's because the door is open. He wants you. The reason you want him is because he wants you. And so what do you need? You just need to say, he wants me. (laughs) He wants me and I want him. And by faith, you step in and say, his work is my work. What he did is for my salvation. It's that simple. There's no actual complication to it. I know we want to feel something. I'm not asking you to feel something. I'm I'm asking you to take God at his word. Feelings follow faith following fact. There's nothing wrong with experience. There's nothing wrong with experience. Did I say that right? There's nothing wrong with feelings. There's nothing wrong with experience. But what you need to do to have accurate experience and have accurate feelings is to fix your gaze on fact. The precious blood of Christ. I'm going to go through this. If any of you have claimed to be in Christ, then this is fact for you. And I want you to begin to reckon it. I don't want you to feel your way through Christianity. I want you to believe your way through Christianity. If you are in Christ, it's the equivalent of me saying, you have this $10, you have this bottled water. And I could say, is it in your own pockets? No, but do you have it? Take it this morning because the blood of Christ is our clothing. So when we are in Christ, that means the merits of the shed blood are actually bequeathed to us. It says the precious blood of Christ is of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's for atonement, which means to pacify and propitiate and reconcile us under God. It's for propitiation, a just and satisfying offering, which is perfect. It's fitting. It sticks into the lock and turns it. It is the perfect fit for us, for our salvation. It is for our just, for justification from sin. Before the bar of judgment, we are deemed clear. We are deemed just because he is just, the one we are in. It's for the forgiveness of sins. It's for the remission of sins, the removal. It's for the cleansing and washing from all sin. You do not need to carry around this stain anymore if you're in Christ. You have a whole room in the lake house. And the person that's giving you a tour says, come in here, it cleanses and washes you too. All the house is yours. If you're in Christ, all of these things are yours. It's for the purging of our consciences. I love that one. You know what the enemy can no longer harass you over past sins? Your conscience is actually purged by the blood of Jesus. It's for peace. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? You can have it in Christ. You tired of being thirsty? I'm here to tell you. It's if God's speaking, I saw your need. And I made provision for you. I've given you the peace that you've longed for. And I could say, do you have it in your own pockets? No, but do you have it? I do. How do you have it? By faith in Christ, I have peace? That's right. It's for reconciliation unto Christ. It's for righteousness. It's for the purpose of saving us from the wrath that will come. I love this. It's for the destruction of the devil. It's for overcoming the devil. It's for redemption, eternal redemption for the purchase of our very beings. It's for the purpose of giving us life within eternal life. It's for the bringing back to life. It's for sanctification. It's for spiritual and physical healing. It's for boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. It's for the purpose of enabling us to make our daily, hourly, minute-by-minute home in Christ Jesus. And by the way, the list is a lot bigger than that. That's just what it says about the blood of Jesus, which you have. These are all precious promises, exceeding great and precious promises, And every single one of them is available to those of you that by faith have entered into Jesus Christ. So reckon it yours. Do not wait to feel it. Do not wait for the crinkle. You go and pursue it. You say that belongs to those that are in Christ. And so by faith, I take it. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. 
Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.